Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, finally, finally, we have gone to the new week. We'll talk to Antoine Staley of NY Daily News to find out why the Jets have changed or how they've changed in the last four weeks. We'll hear from assistant coaches and Mike McDaniel. We'll also pick the Week 15 games that kick off tonight with a snooze fest in Las Vegas. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is... The Drive Time Podcast. You know how we do it on Thursdays. My guest, Antoine Staley. Joining me now is a longtime friend of the show, a heck of a writer, and an overall good dude. You know who he is, a columnist at the New York Daily News, Antoine Staley. Antoine, how you living, brother? I'm good, Travis. How you doing, man? Not too bad. Uh, we talked about this off the air a little bit. Still still a tough week. Still getting over some things here in terms of our first like unexpected loss of the season. But it is what it is. You move on and you have a big game coming up on Sunday at home against a division rival and a chance to sweep a team that you love to sweep every time you get a chance to do that. So our focus has shifted and pivoted there. And we always start these interviews, Antoine, as you know, you've done a few of these with me in the past, that the quarterback position is where we start. And it'll be a different quarterback as far as Miami is concerned compared to who they saw back on Black Friday. But the same devil that the Jets have danced with for really the last three years in Zach Wilson. I think I'll state it as basic as I can to you here, Antoine. What changed in the second half of the Houston game compared to not just the first half of the game or the season prior this year to the first three years of Zach Wilson's career? What changed where he came out like a man on fire and played a really good football game? Confidence. Like, he just let it rip. And they said he was going to do that uh, coming into the week. He was going to have fun. He played like a man that had nothing to lose. I mean, he's already been benched three times in his career. Uh, Obviously, a lot of people aren't, you know, kind of bullish on Zach. But he was decided, you know what, instead of overthinking and, you know, trying to process all this information at one time, I'm just going to go back to my BYU days and just let it chuck it down the field. And I think that's what he did. And they, they opened up the playbook for Nathaniel Hackett did a great job with that. Some of the play calling Zach got the ball to his playmakers and Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall and just kind of let them do the work. And um, I definitely think despite him, you know, losing the fumble in that game and being sat multiple times and all the issues on the Jets offensive line, you know, he stayed confident and poised with the face with a rush pass rush in his face. And I think that's very different than what he had been in the past, where if you put any kind of pressure on Zach, he would just throw the ball in the coverage and, you know, wouldn't be able to use, he wouldn't, you know, make the right decisions. But also I was impressed with his like off scheduling uh, play as well. Like he would, he had a ball where he was throwing on the run and got the ball to Garrett and also Travis, uh, like Tyler Coughlin too as well. And, you know, I thought he was really impressive just kind of the off schedule and, you know, you know, not necessarily traditional things that, you know, he typically does in the offense, which I think a lot of people fell in love, including the Jets fell in love during the pre-draft process. So that, that's kind of what stuck out to me. Yeah. The, the famous pro day throw, right? Like that was why yes. Jets fans fell in love with him, why he was a second overall pick. But like, in, you know, if you listen to the drive time, you know, I, I really harp on this hard that, that ain't what wins in the NFL, man. Like you have to win from in structure in the pocket and beat teams with your mind. Right. Otherwise, you're going to be a, a quarterback that shows flashes and doesn't have staying power in the NFL. But that's why I was kind of, in, for lack of a better term, just flat out impressed because he was playing that way and reading the hots and getting the ball to replace those hot blitzes the Texans were sending at him. I, I'm really, I think that this this week is the big test for him, Antoine, because 
like right. anybody can have one good game. Like I'm not like not anybody, but for the most part, like players can pop up for one good game. It's how you follow up when the tape is out there and maybe the Dolphins adjust to how he was able to kind of, you know, play with that comp. Maybe you can, maybe you can turn it against him. I don't know, but I think this week is a big test in terms of where Zach Wilson's career goes from here. And then I wonder about that. Like, does he still have that same, like, you know, effort mentality because now there's pressure on, maybe I can revitalize my career here in this spot. It's such a fascinating dynamic heading into this game. And I want to kind of pivot here to something similar that we just you just mentioned yourself that and I saw Jets fans on Twitter uh, insisting that they've been way too conservative all year and that they finally opened up the playbook in the second half of that game for the offense. Is that what you saw? And like, what does that mean exactly? Because like, if that's the case, it's it was week fit 14. Like, what the hell took so yeah. long? Yeah, basically, you know, Nathaniel Hackett, like he's very predictable. And I, I, I harped on this, like when they played the Raiders last month that. You know, Antonio Pierce, the interim coach, was saying they don't try when they had they want to run the football. And that shows, I mean, it wasn't necessarily a diss, but it kind of was because it showed like the predictability of the Jets offense. And that's kind of, you know, it's been frustrating for a lot of fans. And it's even covering the team that, you know, they'll first down start the game. You know, they're going to run. And that's exactly what they do. And you dig in these formations where you know what they're going to do. And Hackett, you know, in the second half, like they would be in these run formations, but they would decide to pass or they do an end around or you know they would do you know they've done flea flickers at times too as well so yeah he's he's decided to open it up and it's kind of you know back to zach wilson's like just you know let it rip and just have fun mentality and i think you know hackett kind of identified that too as well i think it was kind of a conversation you know between the coaches and at at halftime was saying when it was they were it was zero zero at halftime and then all of a sudden everything just kind of flipped the jets got the ball and went down the field and scored and you know everything else just kind of fell into place after that but i think a lot of credit deserve deserve to go to hackett as well for you know having the confidence to you know, open up the playbook, especially with Zach, because, you know, Aaron, obviously Aaron was his guy when he came here and everything was catered towards Aaron Rodgers. And of course he got hurt. So it took him a little while to try to trust Zach with the offense. And I think you're kind of seeing it now. It's just now to this point where, where they've decided to open things up and just, you know, being four and eight, five and eight now that to decide, you know, we have nothing to lose, you know, let's just go ahead and chuck it in and see what he can do. I'll go ahead and shamelessly promote some of my previous content once again here because it provides another solid footnote and and something that I really harp on for Dolphins fans and football fans alike is like, don't get too caught in what you think a team is for one game or for whatever, like for however long it might be because things can change in this thing so dang fast because prior to this game, like it was a Jets offense that couldn't move the ball, couldn't convert third downs, never scored more than one touchdown in a game. And you're talking about them like this this new offense was birthed out of, you know, this aggressive attack. And we'll see, like you said, it gave them a stepping stone to see where they can go from here. But you just never know how things materialize. It's just why this league is so much fun and why it's so unpredictable. But we also tend to get into these modes where it's like, that's who they are now. That's just never how it is, man. This game changes all the dang time. So good stuff there. And speaking of things that change, the offensive line of the Jets has been a, a turnstile in terms of the people they've had available. Like the injuries have mounted, and the same the same story is true over here for Miami right now. But this Jets offensive line got some more parts back compared to what we saw on Black Friday with Makai Becton coming back. I know it's far from healthy, but how did that group, do you think, contribute to the win against the Houston Texans? I think that I think they were solid too. Like you said, Beckton played. He did not play. Uh, you know, Wes Schweiter, uh, who has been the typically right right guard as of late. Like he's out for the season now with a calf injury. So they end up having to you know go with Hanson you know, there, who was at the right guard position, and they had Max Mitchell, who you know, crazy enough, he also 
you know, he also was limited in practice on Wednesday due to a neck injury. But yeah, I mean, they've they've had 10 different lineups, like different combinations on the offensive line in 14 games. Like that is just, you know, murderous role as far as I know the Dolphins are kind of close behind too. I believe they've had nine. Like you can, you know, you can clarify that for me too. But I know both of these teams have probably been hit the hardest by offensive line injuries all year long. And, you know, they just hadn't had the continuity. But yeah. even despite that, I thought Zach, and even with the pressure that was in his face, like he still was able, that's what I was impressed with. He was still able to get the ball out pretty quickly to his playmakers. And, you know, he wasn't rattled like I've seen in other games this year. And, you know, the run, run like running the ball was still a bit of a challenge because I think teams are expecting the Jets to run the ball quite frequently. So Brees Hall hasn't had the success that I think a lot of people expected him to early on this year. But you did see some lanes to open up in the second half where he's able to get same some big games there but yeah i definitely think the run the rushing the rushing attack needs to be you know kind of plan you know you know moving into a game against the dolphins where miami as you know has one of the best pass rushes in the nfl especially uh, i believe the third in the league in sets uh coming into this game and you know despite zach having a game that he did against houston you definitely don't want him dropping back throwing the ball uh more than 30 times in this game Antoine Saley from the New York Daily News, my guest today, talking Dolphins and Jets ahead of Sunday's matchup here at Hard Rock Stadium, week number 15. Big, big game for the Miami Dolphins. Let's go over to the other side of the football here and talk about a stout Jets defense. And first, you know, you're around the guys, you know, Antoine in the locker room and press conferences, all that stuff, practice. I'm curious the mood this week because last time we saw these two teams, like the Dolphins took it to the Jets and really beat them at what they do best. Like Tyreek got deep, Waddle got deep, Tua had a big game besides the picks. I mean, he was playing well. The running game got off. They had that long touchdown drive in the second half with pretty much exclusively the running game. What's the mood around Dolphins week for the Jets this week? They don't want to go 0-2 against the Miami in the division. That's basically what it is. It's another opportunity for them to, you know, not get swept against the division opponent. They didn't get swept. They didn't get swept against the Bills. Uh, but, you know, they went one and one. They don't want to get swept against, uh, obviously, the Dolphins. And they have another game against the Patriots that, you know, they can try to end that dreaded streak against. Uh, they haven't beat the Patriots since 2015, which is crazy to think about. But back to the Dolphins, yeah, they, you know, they understand the situation. They understand that they, they're trying to play spoiler. So what has been a tremendous season for the Dolphins there. And they're just trying to get another victory. I mean, they, this team went on a five-game losing streak basically right after they went against the Giants and it was a struggle. It was definitely difficult for the team. You know, they weren't scoring a whole lot of points offensively. The defense was, you know, carrying a heavy load there, trying to win games for them. Just like in the first Dolphins game where, you know, Brandon Eccles had that pick six and you're thinking, oh, well, okay, the Jets are back in it just because their defense made a play. But yeah, I mean, finally their offense kind of stepped up and, you know, took the reins last week. But, you know, defensively, they understand what the situation is with Miami and, you know, having, you know, multiple backups at the offensive line position. Connor Williams, obviously, you know, big large form. So I'm definitely curious to see how, you know, they, you know, guard against and try to block Quentin Williams, who, you know, his sack numbers aren't necessarily what it was a year ago, but his pressure level, uh, if you look at it, it's just as high, if not higher than what it was last year when he had 12 sacks. But I think that's going to be the key of the game, just how does the Dolphins offensive line handle this Jets defensive line? And also, can my, does Miami, you know, tend to run the football a little bit more considering the offensive line situation? Another another example there of, you know, having to provide context behind stats, because like you mentioned, Quinton Williams is still one of the best players in the entire league, regardless of position. I don't care what sack numbers say, like just watch the tape and you Correct. can see that guy's an impactful player 
every single down, every single game. And you talk about the running game there a little bit, Antoine. Like, I, I'm curious. There's so many fascinating, like, subplots to this game for me. The Zach Wilson thing. Like, how can they can the offense string together two big games like that? On the defensive side, I thought Miami really went after the Jets in an, a, a, a smart way. I'm just trying to think of that word right there. In, in a, an intelligent way in terms of attacking the edges with the wide running game and playing off of that in the passing game. And I, I'm, I'm curious because I thought the two biggest plays in that game back on Black Friday were those deep shots to both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, both to start the first half yes. and to start the second half. Because I thought that kind of changed the way those drives and the rest of the offense went that entire game. Do you expect a bounce back here from Sauce and Reed? And I'm I'm curious to kind of hear your conversations with those guys throughout the course of the week as they get ready for a big challenge here against Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they they were not happy with the way they performed there. I mean, as good as those guys are, Waddle, uh, who obviously had a big game, and, of course, Tyree made some big plays too as well. They were definitely not happy with the performance, especially considering, I mean, the Jets gave – that's the most the Jets have given up all season long as far as points. So they defensive wise, they they felt like they didn't do enough to win that game, no matter how how um, you know bad the offense was. And you know they're gonna they're gonna want to um, redeem themselves, especially considering also the fact that they end up giving up nearly 170 yards on the ground. So whether it was stopping trying to you know lack of stopping the run or also you know through the air, which the Jets have still have not given up a 300 yard passer. They almost did that day but did not give up a 300-yard passer and 31 consecutive games. That's their, their calling card. That's what they've hung their hat on all year long, stopping opponents from throwing the ball down deep for them. And, you know, I think they're going to try to do the same thing, too, against Tua, who's, like I say, had success, as you alluded to, uh, outside the two picks in that game we had Black Friday, has had success in the air against this team, too. A lot of teams go into it. Not taking not taking shots at Sauce Gardner, considering how good he is. DJ Reed, you know, kind of the same thing. He's had a tremendous year. And Michael Carter the second, who I think is one of the better slot corners in football, as we'll talk about, I'm sure. But yeah, they they really hung their hat on like how they kind of stopped the pass pass coverage and you know also passing deep passes and explosive plays throughout the air. Yeah, I watched that Houston tape and like I thought it was a good example of kind of a similar offense because, you know, th their OC is off that Shanahan tree as well. So similar yes. concepts there in terms of how they run things. And I was like, I wonder if the Jets changed it all. Like, nope, they're going to go out there. They're going to play physical. They're going to press you. They're going to challenge you every step and you have to beat them. And I anticipate that's what we see on Sunday here at Hard Rock. The only uh, thing that they did differently is then, especially with a young quarterback and CJ, they brought more pressure. Mm -hmm. Like they typically, the Jets typically don't blitz a whole lot. But they did that day. They usually just pressure with four and then, you know, drop seven back there. But they brought they brought pressure a lot more than what they're used to in that game against CJ in Texas. That's that's a good point because you probably won't do that against two. That's where he's best against the blitz. So I probably don't see much of that. We'll see. I mean, you never know. Uh, the Jets can be aggressive in multiple ways. Um, you you mentioned this, and this will be the last question before my my question. I asked everybody about how the Jets can win this game, but I'm curious because you mentioned him and he wasn't in there for the game back in week number twelve. Michael Carter, the second. How does his return impact that defense? It's huge because that gives you another defender who can, you know, help slow down explosive offense with the Dolphins, too. And, you know, everybody talks about Waddle and obviously uh, Tyreek Hill. But, you know, you also have you take into account, you know, Cedric Wilson as well and Braxton Berrios, who, you know, Jets fans know uh, particularly well, too, as well. And we know Mike Medea likes to, you know, scheme up ways to, you know, be able to get his receivers open. But now you got another guy and Michael Carter, along with Brandon Eccles, who you can also bring in and, 
but to also help slow down this dynamic offense who can who loves to get those explosive plays through the air. And having a guy like him is also can be a safety valve for also Sauce and also DJ Reed. So just his with him without him, like it was big. They were really struggling at times, like stopping those explosive plays that you saw on Black Friday. Now you get him back and you know you can hope he can try to prevent that as much as possible. Yeah, I think that position, man, the nickel is one of the most underrated positions, not just in football, but all of sports, because like the Jets run nickel 85% of the time. So he's a key yes. starter out there. And if you don't have those guys, like they can make a because not many guys can play that position. It's kind of like the center position. I think there's only like a handful of really right. good ones in the league. And when you have them, it's great to have them. But if you don't, like it's it's a it's a soft spot. You can attack it. So uh good stuff there, Antoine. I end the the podcast here with the opponent beat writer the same way every single week. And I ask you this. The Jets can win this game if, and then you get a chance to fill in the blank. Well, they have to be able to rush rush forward to it and get in his face too. As I think we kind of saw that against the Titans there. Like if you if you bring pressure, like especially blitz against Tua, he's going to pick you apart all game long. So yeah, you have to be able to rush forward. The Jets typically like their only rush forward, but yeah, they have to be able to get some pressure in his face because otherwise, like I mean, the man is a surgeon out there, and you know I know you know they struggle against Titans there without Tyreek at times, but you know it, whether he plays or not, you know Mike McDaniel is going to have a game plan, you know one way or the other is how to attack the Jets defense and yeah you'd really have to get you know you have to get that consistent pressure on him because and otherwise and I, I think it could be a long day and also stopping the run like the Jets are 28th and stopping the mm-hmm. run this year we kind of saw uh what that looked like in the first matchup there they can't stop the run you know HN and also expect uh Raheem most to have a really big day and he also could fuel Miami to the win you can find him on social at Antoine Staley. You can probably find him at the Elbow Room on Saturday night, too, in Fort Lauderdale. New York Daily News, Antoine, you are the man. We'll see you Sunday, my friend. All right, sounds good. And away he goes. I, I love that guy. He's the best. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there. Come back on the other side. We got McDaniel and assistant coordinators, assistant coaches, press conferences on a Thursday. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Segment two on a Thursday, we heard from head coach Mike McDaniel on this Thursday as the schedule has changed a little bit down here around Miami Gardens in terms of our weekly practice schedule. Walkthroughs on Thursday, no media session for practice, and that means no exact injury updates, which means that coach will have to provide those for us via his press conference, which he did on Thursday. We're we're setting a PR here um, for my tenure, Uh, but there's... It's really just unknowns because, you know, for us, um, we uh, were orchestrating two walkthroughs today. Um, that's where my mind's been wrapped up. I know there's a lot of people um, really, really pushing themselves um, in terms of uh, rehab, and, and, and there's a lot of people that really, really want um, to go uh, – work the taste out of their mouth um, this week. And, you know, I there is a lot of question marks. The one thing I am not questioning um, is the uh, the gusto with which uh, whoever is playing on Sunday will be providing. So um, we have a very focused team on the New York Jets, and um, there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts, but um, we'll, we'll be able to handle it. 
One of the positions that we saw the attrition occur on Monday night was at the safety spot with Javon Holland not playing and Deshaun Elliott going in and out of the game. And of course, Brandon Jones, Elijah Campbell, Nick Needham filling in for those responsibilities. Coach was asked about the difficulty of replacing those two traffic cops on the back end as the communication of safety, as we've learned this year, without Deshaun in the game, without Javon in the game, can really be a stark contrast to what you get with the starters. Here's Coach on just that. How difficult is it to prepare for a game when you don't have your top signal callers on the very back end? Well, I think the difference is the reps and they've uh, Javon and uh, I, the, the, those two, they've had um, a, a, a great season working together. So um, anytime you have those processes um, kind of interrupted, you know, there, there's a, there's communication. There's um, don't, don't get it twisted that they had, it was not their fault that we, that we gave up a lot of yards really from my vantage point. Um, we've, we've moved on because understanding when you watch the tape, um, there was, um, a lot of really good play in the course of the game by all those players. And then there wasn't. So we get down to why, and then we press forward to the New, the New York Jets, which is where I'm at um, and the rest of the team is at right now. And finally, this last one here is a long one because he was asked about the conversations he had with Vic Fangio following the Monday night let's call it what it is, a collapse, two touchdowns in the final four minutes of that football game to give the Titans the victory. Still stings to say that. Um, but he was asked about the conversation with Vic Fangio, and he touched on that, but he also went more in depth on the feelings and the emotion for the team and the fans. And I thought it was just a really good picture inside of how McDaniel can compartmentalize what the team needs, but also the emotions and the feelings. Just really good stuff here from your head coach, and it's going to lead us into our first bit of the third segment here. Here's coach talking about the emotion and the need to control that and get it under your belt, but also how maybe sometimes these types of things can be wake-up calls. I'm not sure if it's a silver lining or the positive part of going through stuff together as a team. Listen, any team that does anything worth anything um, has goes through stuff together. It's like a family. Like you, um, you know, I would imagine siblings fight. Um, and when you get through it, um, you are stronger. Well, that was a fight for us, uh, um, really, for, for all three phases. Um, in terms of emotional, like we put a lot into it and we didn't get the results at all. Um, you know, I, I very much am a person that looks at intent. Um, I try to communicate as best I can um, throughout the season. I'm very aware uh, of our defensive coordinator is one of, if not the best, defensive play callers that I've ever been around. You talk about um, timeliness um, of certain calls. You talk about being on – because your job is to prepare players and put them in the best position – um, to succeed. And so within that, you know, knowing, knowing the scheme and then knowing, knowing the offense, um, you know, each and every week, the last person I'm worried about doing everything they can, um, for the team is Vic Fangio. So, uh, with that, we, you know, we're, we're, we're teammates. So, um, yeah, there, there's, there was no projection on towards him, 
We, we talked through um, what we saw, why stuff happened, um, so that we can coach our players so that you learn from it. Um, you, you have the choice of uh, if something um, – you have the choice of however you handle anything. And, um, you know, that, that, can, that can be a, 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 a great experience for a team if approached the right way. So that's where our minds have been at. And, you know, the, really that happens. You, you approach your team and make sure that you guys are all, um, you know, really, really taking in that pain the correct and appropriate way. Um, and then we're, we've moved on to the, to the New York Jets because you can't um, – I mean, at this point, in, at, on this day, if we would have won by 40 or lost by 40, what does that have to do with today? I know there's a lot of feelings, um, as there should be, because people are invested, whether you're um, on the team or you're a fan of it. Um, but the bottom line is is that uh, we, we are constantly looking at what we're doing today for the next game and we're not we can't live in last game whether we won 70 to 20 or um lost 28 27 um really the same rep for us and um and i think the the whole building feels the same and we're we're at carpe diem on this what is today thursday it is Thursday. And with that, let's go ahead and take our last break right there and come back on the other side. I'll pick it up with my thoughts on what Coach touched on right there. We'll also do the Week 15 game picks. All of that next Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Segment number three here on a Thursday. We, we've got three TNF games left, man. Lots of Saturday games and some Christmas games and additional games around the holidays, but it's almost over, man. Like, Damn. Enjoy it while it's here, right? Let's go ahead and get to the Week 15 picks. But first, before that, I put together a little research project that was just kind of my own curiosity, I suppose, getting the best of me within the scope of two ideas. And those ideas are that the doom and gloom panic after Monday is nonsense. And again, I, for the 14th time this week, I feel like a pet died. My stomach was being turned over itself the night of the game all the way into Tuesday through hard knocks. It sucked, but the doom and gloom panic after Monday was nonsense. But that's also totally fine to be a little bit concerned, maybe even moderately concerned. But the whole, like, they're going to finish 9-8 and eight thing, come on, guys, chill out, chill out. The loss sucked, but the truth is the loss at center is bigger than the loss in the game. And that's where most of my consternation comes from that and the dubious nature of the safety position, which clearly is needed for this defense to play with connectivity and be itself that we've come to know and love the last eight weeks of the season or whatever it's been. If you told me though, that we were playing the jets on Sunday with Connor and Rob and Javon and Deshaun, and all those guys are good to go, even without JP and bake and Teastead, I'd be like, bet super bowl or bust still. And even still, like if you go to the you know, computer cowboy ranking power rankings, Miami is still in that tier of teams that could make a legit Super Bowl run. So all of that's still ahead of you. 
but I get how sometimes critical injuries at key spots can change things. Now, that said, what inspired this little research project was the Miami Miracle. Oh, didn't have the angle! A 9-3 Patriots team had a five-point lead with seven seconds to play, and the Dolphins had to go, what was it, 64 yards to win the football game? And they got it. Ted, 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 Ted Larson, key block. 9-4, and four. and then they lost again the next week, 9-5. and five. But then they didn't lose a game the rest of the way and won the world championship. So I just wanted to look at some of the best teams, the Super Bowl champs of the last 10 or so years, and how their Decembers have looked. And I'm not sitting here guaranteeing you that this team will win the Super Bowl. I just think that Dolphins fans, all football fans, all football discourse are very good at losing perspective and doing so very quickly in the emotional heat of the moment. Because I will also never forget a younger, less mature, more naive, still pretty mature, still maybe a little bit naive, uh, but definitely more mature now than a less than a 25-year-old Travis. And that 25-year-old Travis saying, man, it must suck having Joe Flacco as your quarterback. He'll never win you a Super Bowl. He's good enough to get you to the playoffs, but not to win a Super Bowl. And that was as they were 9-2 and two and proceeded to lose to a Charlie Batch-led Steelers team Washington in overtime, Denver beat the Giants to go 10 and 5 and get in the playoffs, then lose the finale to go to 10 and 6. Then they beat the Colts at home, Broncos in overtime, Patriots in convincing fashion in the AFC Championship game, and then they won the Super Bowl over John Harbaugh's brother. Yep, lost four of the last five and then won the whole damn thing. Or the 07 Giants, who lost two of their three final games, finished 10 and 6 and won the Super Bowl, including three road playoff games en route to knocking off. <laughs> the unbeaten Patriots. Those are both outliers and not part of the research project I wanted to do, but they belong in there because they're part of the context of how football narratives almost never play out that way. But let's go ahead and start last year with the Chiefs and go back to that 2012 Ravens team. So the 2022 Chiefs, well, they lost in week 13 to the Bengals. It was one week before our first loss, of December, and it was their first game in December, and they won the next eight games and the Super Bowl. They did have to beat the Texans, a 4-13 and three t- 13 Texans team in overtime, and narrowly escaped that game, and also escaped a bad Broncos team that was at 5-11, and 5-12 Broncos team last year. They beat those that team by a touchdown twice in the last minute of the game. They lost to a Colts team earlier that went 4-12-1. 2021 Rams lost the last game of the year for them to the Packers in November to fall to 7-4, won five straight, and then lost their season finale to the Niners to fall to 12-5. Then they won four playoff games in the Super Bowl. The 2020 Bucks lost to the Rams and Chiefs in back-to-back weeks to fall to 7-5 into their bye week, and everybody thought they were cooked, right? Then they rattle off four straight to close it out, then win four straight road playoff games, Pretty good example there. They also lost to a Bears team that year that went 5-11, and by the way. The 2019 Chiefs are a bad example. Their last last, last, last loss was on November 10th to a 500 Titans team. The 2018 Patriots, we covered them. Miracle in Week uh, week 14, kind of like the Titans miracle, and lost again and then ran through the playoffs and the Rams in the Super Bowl. And that Miami team they beat that year was their bad loss. That and a loss to the 6-10 Lions, but also a lost to the 5-11 and 11 Jaguars. The 2017 Eagles lost their first game in December, a 24-10 stinker to the Seahawks. Then they lost their quarterback the next week. Like, that's your best example of the Connor Williams loss. They lost their damn quarterback and didn't lose a game after that. 2016 Patriots, another bad example. Patriots usually are. Last loss was November 13th. Pretty good team, huh? 2015 Broncos. Here's a good one. Talk about, like, bad quarterback play. Whew. Brock Osweiler goes in for Peyton Manning, and then they re- 
they revive the corpse of Peyton Manning to come back. They lose back-to-back games in December to the Raiders and Steelers, have an overtime win against a Bengals team who was down Andy Dalton. And then, and that was Andy Dalton's best year, by the way. I'm not, that's like, that's, he was better than what you think of Andy Dalton that year. And then a touchdown win over the Chargers to go 12-4 and before going through the AFC playoffs and winning a Super Bowl. The 2014 Patriots lost their last game on December 1st to the Packers to fall to 9-3. and Hey, that's what we just were. Then they lost the finale to the Buffalo Bills, but they are resting starters in that game and won the Super Bowl. 2013 Seahawks lost on December 8th to San Francisco to fall to 11-2, beat the Giants, then lost to the Cardinals, so two out of three games, to fall to 12-3, and and then they went on to win the whole thing. And of course, that 2012 Ravens team won in four in December, and the funny thing is, that's us last year, and they had their quarterback, because if we have Tua in the Buffalo game last year in the playoffs, we win that game, right? What happens next week? Who knows, but you get what I'm saying. Narratives rarely hold up, especially when you get to that part of the season, so... 11 total teams here, 11 Super Bowl champions, all but two had a loss in December, and in total, the 11 teams lost 16 games in December. Remove that Ravens team, and they were an anomaly. You still had 12 losses for 10 Super Bowl champions. So what am I saying here, Travis? If the Dolphins go 2-2 two and two the rest of the way, people are going to say they have no shot to win the whole thing. And I think that's pretty much just not true at all. That would be 11-6. and six. Disappointing for sure, but everything is still in front of you at that point. So can we just all agree on this show to A, enjoy the fact that the season's been an absolute blast. Like, we've had fun, right? I think we as sports fans get so caught up in the end results when really the truth is that it's about how much fun you have on the journey. Because like 31 teams are going to end the year disappointed, but you can have good seasons, and you can definitely have fun and get enjoyment when you don't win the whole thing. I promise that if you just think about the Jets, not what's ahead after that, your day and your week will get better because, like, I had to talk myself out of this whole funk because I had so much fun at 9-3. and The year was a blast. The Chiefs' loss was hard. Eagles lost, whatever. The Bills lost was hard. But like at nine and three, I was like, this, we're going to win the Super Bowl. That's going to be more, more paychecks for everybody in the, in the building. Like it's going to be awesome. But then they lost and I, I'm like distraught. I can't handle it. Like that's not, that's stupid. Why would I do that? Like you've had 12 games of pretty much sheer enjoyment. Don't let one like ruin the whole thing. Like you've had fun this year. You're going to watch these games this summer and enjoy them back again. And then my other request is be, let's just see what happens, man. Like, yeah, we lost Connor. It sucks. But what if Dak Prescott gets hurt against the Bills? What if Lamar Jackson gets hurt and misses the Dolphins game in Week 17? What if Josh Allen misses? Like, you never know what could happen. The Bengals were back on track and going to make a run, right? 5-4, and four, looking good, going to go beat the, uh, was it, who, who they play when, when Bro got hurt? The Ravens. They're going to go beat the Ravens, right? Joe Burrow's wrist. And the Jags were right in line for the one seed after that injury, right? Because they weren't going to face Joe Burrow. What do they do? They lose to Jake Browning and Joe Flacco against the Browns and Bengals, respectively. And is anybody taking the Jaguars serious right now? Like, their year's not over. They're still probably going to win the AFC South. That's it. Chill. That's the message. If we lose Sunday, all right, freak out. Fine by me. But not until then, okay? Week 15 picks, man. Speaking of setbacks, we were cruising in week 14, nailed the Chicago and Cleveland upsets, got the Buffalo pick right, we're 8-1 and one heading into those afternoon games, and then the Buffalo game was the only game we'd win the rest of the way. Loss, loss, dub in the late games, and then 0-3 and in primetime. That is a 1-5 and five finish to the week. It knocks us to 149-63. and 63. That's 70.3% winning percentage. And let's go ahead and cue the music right there and get to these picks. On Thursday Night Football, I'm taking the Raiders over the Chargers, but I don't want to watch that game at all. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch Easton Stick play against Aiden O'Connell. I'm not doing it. 
Um, I, I make a joke every year that like you guys are going to be craving these football games come you know February, but I, I just can't do it. Uh, give me the Saturday slate here. Give me the Bengals over the Vikings. I just I think the Vikings offense is utterly broken right now, and Jake Browning. You know it's funny the the Bengals offense is scoring. 10 more points per game with Jake Browning than what Miami scored last year without Tua Tonga by Lowe. Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting. Uh, give me the Colts over the Steelers. I'm not picking the Steelers the rest of the way. I think I've communicated that on the show here. Their offense is beyond broken. Detroit over Denver. The Lions have to bounce back. It's in the nice, cushy confines of Ford Field. I'll, I'll take them to win that one. Give me the Saints over the Giants. I am getting beat by the Giants the last couple of weeks, but I'm going to ride the hot hand here and trust that a decent Saints defense can handle Tommy DeVitz, uh, even though the Saints offense is just as bad. Give me the uh, rather the Bears over the Browns. I, I just can't have faith in Joe Flacco. They don't have either starting tackle. Grant Delpit got hurt. The Bears are rolling. I like Justin Fields where he's at right now. Give me the Bears. Give me the Falcons over the Panthers. I'm not picking the Panthers the rest of the way. Give me the Packers over the Bucks to bounce back in a big way. The Dolphins to bounce back over the Jets. Give me the Chiefs over the Patriots because, duh. I'll take Houston over the Titans, but I'll swap that if C.J. Stroud can't play and it's Davis Neck Mills. Give me the Niners over the Cardinals. I'll take the Rams over the Commanders. I'm picking Buffalo over Dallas. Hopefully that's not what happens because I want to see Dallas get another huge win and then come into our game like with a you know a little bit of a wiggle room to lose. And also, obviously, a Buffalo loss would be massive for us because we can wrap the division up in a few weeks if they lose that game and we get take care of our business. But I'm taking the Bills. I just think they're going to find a way again at home. If it was in Dallas, I'd pick the other way around. But Dallas traveling in bad weather, we'll see, man. Uh, give me Baltimore over Jacksonville. Again, hope that one swaps. Hopefully I'm 0 for 2 on these picks because that would be huge for us if we got those. And then Philly over Seattle on Monday night. So if the Dolphins beat the Jets and then you get to go home and watch you know, the 425 game, and if Dallas beats Buffalo, and then Jacksonville beats Baltimore, like, you are right back where you start. You could be right back where you were prior to Monday night if you get those three results, and they're not at all crazy. Miami's nine-point favorites. Let's go ahead and pull up my uh, my app here and tell you about the other two games. I think Buffalo's probably probably a pick right? Like, in that spot. They're 1.5 favorites. So Dallas is less than two-point dogs on the road. And then the Jags are three-point dogs at home. So, like, either of those games could clearly go in the way of the Dolphins' beneficiary. So that's the podcast. That's the picks. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on social at Winkle NFL and the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank with Seth and Juice. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Carolina Cameron, Daddy. Just come here.